it's such a joy uh, to be here with you and to see my mom and dad on Sunday. So that's, uh, that's new for me as well. You know, I grew up actually, like you can almost throw a rock on the stone I grew up on just over here. And so it's such a privilege always to come back to the city I love and the town that I've prayed over so many times over so many years and be able to preach the word. And so thank you for having me here. Pray for your pastor as he takes a well-needed and deserved uh, break with his family. And uh, you know what, before we get into the word, we should pray. So would you please bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, you are good. Lord, you are over all things. Oh God, you are the God of gods, the Lord of lords. Lord, we have nothing apart from you. You've been so kind to your people, Lord. You've done so much. You've given us salvation, Lord. You are sanctifying us. You are bringing us through this world right now, Lord. And one day, oh God, we will see you face to face. And we long for that day. And Lord, here we are now, and what an opportunity we have to see from your word, the word that you have given to us, God. Lord, to see your glory. Lord, show us more of who you are this morning. Lord, would all the praise and worship go to you. Lord, I'm praying for salvation this morning. Lord, that somebody here who has not believed in Jesus Christ would believe. And for the person who has for so long grieved the heart of God, who is one of your children, Lord, needs to come back and dedicate themselves to you, Lord. I pray for your spirit to work powerfully this morning, Lord, because you are good. And so we dedicate all of this to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, thank you for having me here this morning. This morning we are going through Psalm 136. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn there to Psalm 136, and we're going to go through this psalm verse by verse by verse, and we're going to see what it meant to the people of Israel and then also what it means for us today. There's lots of amazing truth in this psalm, and mainly, if, you've, if you're familiar with the psalm, that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. But I don't want to just focus, we're going to do a lot of verse by verse here, but I don't want to just focus on what it says, I also want to focus on what this psalm was used for in Israel. You see, this psalm was read out loud and sung by the entire congregation of Israel at least two times that we know of. The first was in 2 Chronicles 7, after Solomon builds the temple, he has the entire um, congregation of Israel, led by the Levites and the priests, to sing this psalm to dedicate the temple. If you know anything about Israel's history, after Solomon, there was some more kings. They did what was evil in sight of the Lord. Time went by and more evil, more evil. God got fed up with their wickedness and sent the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar to sack Jerusalem. The city was sacked and as captives, he took an exiled group of people back to Babylon. He destroyed the wall. He destroyed the temple of God. Some years later, uh, people like Nehemiah and Ezra were sent back with a group of Jews and they came back to Jerusalem and they rebuilt the wall, they rebuilt the temple. And in Ezra 3, Ezra stands up before the people and has them recite this psalm to rededicate the temple. 
In this psalm, there's 26 verses, and each of them end with the same phrase, for the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And when the Bible says something 26 times in 26 verses, we better pay close attention, right? God's clearly trying to tell us something. I think I know what it is. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. This psalm is completely about dedicating the temple themselves to who God is. In this entire psalm, there's not one verse that says, since God is good, and then it goes, well, therefore, Israel do this. It doesn't, it's not in this psalm. There's no therefore. There's no now do this. It's all acclamation and praise to the character of God for who he is and what he has done. That's it. So what is it for us to be a dedicated people? What does that look like? You know, we think of dedication in a few different ways. Uh, I think we think about it like this. We go, hey, I'm a really dedicated person, and maybe even write it on your resume when you're looking for a new job, right? And your, and your future, well, potential future employer would be like, well, how are you so dedicated? What do you mean by that? Prove it to me. And then you show them your nicely framed employee of the month certificate. You know, I sold the most product last month, and so look how dedicated I am. And you say, I'm really dedicated to my family. And you're like, oh, prove it, prove it. What do you mean you're dedicated to your family? And you would say, well, look, they're all so put together, and we love each other, and I dedicate my time and my efforts and everything I am to my family. And that's good, and there's nothing evil about that. We should be dedicated in this way. It's just not the same kind of dedication that's going on here. There's a different kind of dedication. It's the dedication of the hopeless romantic standing on a stage with a guitar and singing a love song to his sweetheart and dedicating it to her. It's the kind of dedication where a novelist writes a book, and at the front of the book, he dedicates it to someone who meant a lot to him or her, saying... This isn't about my accomplishments. This isn't about my work. This isn't about my abilities. It's all about how lovely you are and how good you are. And all of this is for you. This is the kind of dedication that the Israelites were doing when reading this psalm. They weren't looking at their own accomplishments. They weren't looking at their own good deeds. They weren't looking at their own work. They were looking at who God is and saying, God, you alone are worthy, and this is dedicated to you. We need to be dedicating ourselves to God as well. Not in the sense that I'll work harder, not in the sense that I will do more, but in the sense that everything I am, O oh God, my very being is for you, for you are good. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6.19, when talking about why we should keep ourselves from sexual immorality, he writes this, he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, who you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You see, the Israelites had the physical temple where the manifest presence of God dwelt, but now, believer in Jesus Christ, if you've believed in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within you, and now you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so, we must be dedicated to God. We need to take our eyes off of self, our own work, our own accomplishments, eyes off of self, and set our gaze upon God. And that's our goal here this morning.
So, what does my song of dedication look like in my life? And here's our first point. My song of dedication must give thanks to God for who he is, for his steadfast love endures forever. I've divided the text up into four different sections. The first one here is verses 1 through 9. And we're going to look at how we must give thanks to God for who he is. Look at verse 1. Look at verse 1. It says this. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is good. Some of us here this morning maybe just need to hear that. That the Lord is good. That through everything, he is good. Through trial and through joy, the Lord is good. He uses everything. He works all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. He is good. He deserves all of our thanks and all of our worship. I love how Charles Spurgeon put it when referring to this verse. He said this. He said, speaking of God, he is good beyond all others. Indeed, he alone is good in the highest sense. He is the source of good, the good of all good, the sustainer of good, the perfecter of good, and the rewarder of good. Everything that is good derives its goodness from the good one. He is good and he is good alone. Only he is good and we depend on our, the goodness of the Lord every single day and his steadfast love endures forever. Look at verse 2. It says, give thanks to the God of gods. Do you know this, that there is no one above our God? That he is the God of gods? There is no one like him. No God can compare with who our God is. Any demon pretending to be a God or any God that mankind has fathomed up and imagined and worshipped doesn't even come close to comparing with the beauty and the majesty of who our God is. He is good. He is the God of gods. He is the true holy one who is above all things. Do you understand who you worship? His love endures forever. Verse 3 says, give thanks to the Lord of lords. You know that there are many lords in the world, many lords of the manor, many people who own large pieces of land and call themselves lords, but did you know that there's only one lord of lords? That he actually owns all things? That everything is under his dominion and sovereignty? That nothing happens on this earth that is not directly under his sovereignty. It's amazing who our God is. In this ultimate authority, he is loving and perfect in his lordship. He's not a harsh ruler or a mean ruler or a, a bad landlord, if you will. He is perfect in his lordship. Spurgeon went on in this verse, he said this, he protects the helpless, provides for the needy, and pardons the guilty. You see, his lordship is perfect. He is the Lord of lords, and his steadfast love endures forever. In verses 4 and 6, I've kind of put them together. I'm going to read the first part of each of these three verses together 
talks about how he is the creator. This is who he is. It says, to him alone who does great wonders, to him who by understanding made the heavens, to him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. Do you know this? He created all things. That right now we have the opportunity to worship the creator of all things. He does the most wonderful, wondrous things. And only he can do them. Only he can do them. This is who our God is. He created, it says, he created the heavens in understanding. He created our atmosphere. He created this, this, this planet Earth and he gave us atmosphere so that we can breathe, so that we can live, so that we can exhale and give glory and praise back to our God. He did this in understanding, it says. In verses 7 to 9, it says, To him who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and stars to rule over the night. You know that God considered every single hour of our day? He considered every single hour of our day that we might have light, the sun to rule over the day, of course, the moon and the stars over the night. Not one moment goes by in our existence that we are not living under the rule of the light that God has put in place. Without the sun, there would be no seasons, of course. There would be no life on earth. We know that the, we know that the moon is like a natural calendar to us. It also controls the tides. God created all of this. And we can't even begin to imagine, we can't even begin to understand the, the significance of every single star in our galaxy, let alone the universe. And how God has so intrinsically put them together and the gravitational pulls and the movements of all things so that we would be sustained here today and what seems so impossible to us to even understand is easy for him to create. This is who our God is. A few weeks ago, I, was, I had the privilege of going up to our family cottage up north and, um, and uh, I, I just, I love it up there. And it, it was a really great night. It was very clear. There was no clouds out. And, uh, you know, after about 11 o'clock, the bugs kind of go away. Maybe they go to bed too. And so it's kind of nice just to get out. And um, I said to my wife, Mandy, hey, come out. Come out with me. Lie on the dock. Let's, like, look at the stars. And she's like, oh, no, I'm tired. And she's about seven months pregnant. So doing any extra, acti uh, extra activity is kind of off the books. But I finally dragged her outside. And uh, we got out and I had her, you know, after I convinced her that no spiders would get in her hair from lying on the dock, we were able to lie out on the dock for minute and we just gazed up at the stars and it was beautiful. The moon was even low so there was no light pollution. You know, here there's so many lights and so we can't even see the stars. But from horizon to horizon, horizon to horizon, the, the sky was just painted with God's glory. Stars filling every single square inch of the sky. You know, here we see the Big Dipper. We're like, oh, okay, there's a couple stars, a Big Dipper. Up there you're like, where's the Big Dipper? There's so many stars, I can't even see it. Amazing. Amazing. And, and then all of a sudden, in our, in our view, we see this star, and it's just kind of moving. And we're like, oh, that's moving pretty fast. You know, that's, that's actually moving across, across the sky pretty quick. And we realize that's not a star at all. It's a satellite, right? And then you're like, okay, that's a satellite. And then it hit me later on, realizing and thinking about this, you know, a satellite is about 400 kilometers away from us. 
Okay. The nearest star, other than our sun, to Earth is 36 quadrillion kilometers away from us. That's a 36 with 12 zeros behind it. And for what God has made and what for man has made to look the same size, one has to be basically right next to my eye. This is who our God is. Wondrous. Incredible. And did you know this, that Jesus is the light? That he is the light of the world, truly. That the sun and the stars and the moon, they all are pointing to, even in creation, pointing to the one true light. And when we get to heaven, one day there will be no sun or moon because God will be the light. We learn that in Revelation 21, 23. You see, we need to dedicate ourselves to God because of who he is. Are you in awe of who God is? Dedicate yourself to the one who is over all things. So we see that we need to dedicate ourselves. We, we have this song of dedication because of who he is, but also now for what he's done, for what he's done, for his steadfast love endures forever. Verses 10 to 15. In verse 10, it says this, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. You know the story of Israel, right? They were enslaved in Egypt for about 400 years. Uh, they had no leader. They had no hope. They had no future. And Pharaoh had his thumb down on the Israelites like no other. Hard labor work. In fact, he killed the firstborn of all the Israelites in one generation, and we see there was a little bit of vengeance in the next from God. But Pharaoh's thumb is heavy on the people of Israel in Egypt. And in verse 10, it says this, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. To give salvation uh, to the Israelites, God sent some plagues. You remember the story of Moses? Right? He called Moses out, Moses who was a murderer and couldn't really even speak that well. He used him to lead his people out of Egypt and praise the Lord that he's able to use fallen and broken men to lead. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh and, and God gives him uh, through Aaron and the, the words to say and he kind of lays down these plagues, these terrible plagues over Egypt, but Pharaoh just won't let the people go, won't let them go, won't let them go. And then God finally comes to Moses and said, listen, Moses, this one's going to be a doozy, Okay. This one is going to be the plague of all plagues. What I'm going to do is I'm going to send my angel and I'm going to go all throughout Egypt and every house I come to, I'm going to kill the eldest son. Except for those who take a perfect lamb, sacrifice that lamb, take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorposts of their house. On, on those houses, my, my angel will pass over those houses. And it says, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. You see, God came and struck down the firstborn of all the Egyptians so that the Israelites could go free. And for us, God strikes down his own son so that we can go free. We can see that it's God's sacrifice for us is his own blood. 
We can see clearly the enduring love he has for us as we look at the cross and see the sacrifice that was made, the perfect lamb of God, the perfect Passover lamb that covers us so that we may be saved. In verses 11 and 12, he goes on and says, and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. You see, after this miracle happened, Pharaoh finally said, get out of here, get out of here, leave Moses, you and your people can go. And with a, with a strong hand, an outstretched arm, God saves his people from slavery. And just as God brought the Egyptians out of slavery, sorry, brought the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt, he saves us from slavery to sin. This is the work our God does for us. Ephesians 2, 1 to 5 sums this up so well. It says, and you were once dead in your trespasses and sins in, what, in, what, in which you once walked. We were all slaves to sins. We all had no hope. We all had no future. It goes on, it says, by nature we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We had nothing our parents were doomed, we're doomed, our children are doomed, there's no hope, no leader, no future, enslaved to sin, unable to be released. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. God saves us from our slavery with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, have you been saved by the strong hand and outstretched arm of our God? Have you believed in what he has done? Have you believed in his steadfast love that endures forever? In verse 13, we see that it says, to him who divided the Red Sea in two. You remember the story, right? You remember the story of the Israelites? They finally leave and they're kind of like, hey, we got freedom now, let's go, let's go. And the whole uh, gathering of Israel follows Moses out and they, they head out of Egypt and they, they end up near the Red Sea. And they're like, okay, where do we go? Do we go south? Do we go north? Do we go east? Do we go west? So, you know, we can't, this Red Sea's in the way. We can't really go over it. Like, we don't have enough boats. Like, there's nothing we can do there. It's going to be really difficult to get across. And just as they're trying to make up their minds here, Pharaoh changes his mind. And he goes, wait, 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 I made a mistake. We need slaves. We need slaves. Our economy is going to go down to nothing here. We need these Israelites. And so he takes his army and in anger. He charges after God's people. And Israel on one side has the Red Sea, and on the other side has Pharaoh and his army. And quite literally, they're between a rock and a hard place. But it says, to him who divided the Red Sea in two, God splits the waters. God creates a path that was impossible. It wasn't there. There was no hope. God creates a path in the Red Sea and splits the waters. Do you remember the story in Matthew 8? Jesus and his disciples, they're like, oh, let's take a leisurely uh, uh, cruise on a boat in the sea here and uh, just enjoy the sunshine. And Jesus takes a nap, falls asleep in the boat, which, amen, naps are good, right? All the parents with young children, right? Amen, I'm with you. Naps are good. Jesus did it, and so can we. But he's napping, and as he's taking a little uh, sleep, 
this great storm arises. And the waves are banging against the boat and it's raining and they, it's so bad that the disciples think they're going to die. They come to Jesus. Jesus, wake up! We're going to die! What are you doing sleeping? How can you sleep through this? Did you take NyQuil? And Jesus gets up and with just a few words rebukes the weather. In Matthew 28, 27, or sorry, Matthew 8, 27, it says that the disciples marveled and said, what man is this that the winds and the sea obey him? I'll tell you what man this is. He's the, he's the God man who came to this earth. He's, he's the same God who created all things. He's the same God who split the Red Sea. See, Jesus is overall. And creation obeys him. Just as the sea was divided for safe passage of God's people, Jesus' body is broken for ours. And Jesus was sent to the cross and nails broke his skin. And he was nailed to that cross for our safe passage to salvation. 1 Corinthians 11.24 says, During the Last Supper, Jesus broke bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Is Jesus' body for you? Do you believe? Do you believe that the God of heaven who created all things, who is over all things, who has the power to divide the sea and conquer the storm, do you believe in him? Do you believe? His steadfast love endures forever. In verse 14, it says, and made Israel pass through the midst his steadfast love endures forever. Israel, because of the work of God, were able to safely walk through the sea. And in Christ, we are able to walk in this world with level footing. Jesus tells us in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, for I will give you rest. Are you trying to swim, ask yourself this, are you, are you trying to swim through the, the raging sea and, and trying to work so hard and trying to beat your own sin and trying to work through your own temptation on your own when God has made a clear path for you to walk down? Do you have this dedication thing in your salvation mixed up? Do you think if I just try harder, if I just work a little bit more, if, if, if I just hide this thing, I can deal with it myself. I can be dedicated to overcoming this. I can be dedicated to get myself through. And if I work so hard, God will finally be pleased with me. That is not what our salvation is. It's God did the work that we are completely and utterly unable to do. He splits the sea so that where there was no way, there is now a way. We cannot win these battles on our own. We must believe in the sacrificial lamb of God, the Passover lamb, be washed in his blood and walk through. You see, you have this option today. We all have this option today. Do you believe and walk or do you disbelieve and drown? Verse 15 says, but overthrew Pharaoh and his hosts in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. 
You see, Israel passed through. Israel passed through this incredible miracle. They walked through the miracle of God to salvation on the other side. And as Pharaoh saw them go through, he said, follow them. And he and his army followed through and the walls of water came crashing down and over, it says he overthrew Pharaoh and his hosts in the Red Sea. You see, the same grace that saved the Israelites destroyed the Egyptians. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ to you a light? Or is it death? I pray it would be light. I pray it would be light. 1 Peter 2, 6-10 sums this up really well. It says this, speaking of Christ, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. Do you believe? But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do, but you, but you, oh, but you, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Church, have you believed in the Passover lamb? Because if you believe in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You see, the Egyptians, they did not have the Passover lamb. And so the miracle of grace that was offered to the Israelites was not for the Egyptians. You must believe in Jesus the perfect sacrificial lamb from God who takes away the sins of the world. And you can believe in him right now. Here's your opportunity. Believe in Jesus. Trust in him. Dedicate yourself to Jesus because he has saved you. So we sing this song of dedication. We give thanks to God for who he is, for what he has done, and also for what he is doing. For his steadfast love endures forever. And here's our third point, 16 to 20. In verse 16, it says this, to him who led his people through the wilderness. Of course, you, you've heard the story before, right? Israel gets to the other side. They've defeated, uh, the, 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 God has defeated Pharaoh and, and his army, and now they're on the other side, and they're like, well, what do we do? What do we do? Okay, well, let's wander a little bit. And so they end up in this wilderness, and God leads them around the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years in a desert land that really shouldn't sustain one person, God provides for a nation. In Deuteronomy, this is amazing. In Deuteronomy, this is my, my new favorite verse in the last two weeks, okay? Deuteronomy 29.5, it says this, that in the 40 years that they wandered through the wilderness, their clothes did not wear out and their sandals did not wear off their feet. If my kids could have shoes that last longer than two weeks, right? See, God knew exactly what they would need. Some of you don't like that miracle because you'd like to change your wardrobe more than once every 40 years. 
But God knew exactly what they needed. He sent manna from heaven for food. I was reading this week again. He, he brought water out of a rock when they were thirsty. He, he made sure that their sandals didn't wear out. He made sure that their, their clothes didn't wear out. Why? Because our God is the God who provides even in the most impossible situations. Do you trust that God will provide? Do you know who you serve? Do you know that you worship a God who created all things and is sovereign over all things? Who, who owns everything? See, my, my struggle is I, I, I wonder if there's lots of people in the church today and in my church and maybe even here that honor the Lord with their lips. They say the things like, Jehovah Jireh, you're my provider. I believe, I believe. But then with the hands and the heart, they fail to believe. I have a confession to make. Again, two weeks ago, this was two weeks ago, I had such an evil thought enter my mind. It was just so evil. I had to rebuke it instantly. It was so bad. I, I, this unexpected expense came up. Decent size expense. And I was, I just left church too, which makes it even that much more worse. And, and I was sitting in my car and, and, and I had this phone call. I was like, oh yeah, this expense. And this evil thought, this worldly thought came into my mind that said, I guess I can't tithe this month. Wickedness. Wickedness. I was writing this sermon and it brought tears to my eyes to think for a moment, God, that I would think that you wouldn't provide. That I think that I would have to put my own faithfulness on the altar of success. God, forgive me that I would think that I can take things into my own hand, that I don't believe that you rule over all and that you own everything and that you will provide. In my mind, I failed to believe in who God was. I was thinking worldly thoughts. Not the thoughts of someone who has been rescued from slavery and sustained by the mighty hand of God. The truth is, is I would have nothing without him. Nothing. Everything I have is the Lord's. Any gift I have is of the Lord. It's from the Lord. I have nothing. And it's not about how much money can I give to God. It's really how much of his money should I use for myself. This isn't a sermon about giving or, or tithing at all. But the, the point is here is, do you believe that God will provide? Do you believe? If you believed, you would worship. You would know who he is and what he is capable of doing. Will he not be true to those he has saved? Will he lead you out of Egypt, out of slavery, and across the Red Sea, and then let you die in the wilderness? Not our God. Will he not bless the generous in heart and those who sacrifice before the Lord? He is in control of manna from heaven. Some of us wonder, how are we going to make it by? Listen, he is the God who is in control of how fast your clothes wear out. Do you believe? 
Do you trust in his provision? His steadfast love endures forever. Verses 17 to 20, put together again, say this, to him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings, Shion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, God led his people into the promised land and defeated these great kings to give it to them as a heritage. These kings were mighty. I mean, like, Israel had no business beating these kings, okay? No business. Come up against these kings that are warlords. I mean, their, their soldiers are suited out. Like they, got arm, like, they got horses and chariots and shields and spears and everything. They're ready to fight. And here comes this ragtag nation that hasn't had a change of clothes in 40 years. Who's going to win? And this was so profound that Israel put this in the psalm. Because they knew that they didn't beat these kings. Their God defeated these kings. God will defeat our enemies. God will defeat our enemies. He always gets the victory. Do you know the God you serve? Some of us look at our life and we, and we you know, it's so easy, it's so, in my own heart, it's so easy to just get so self-absorbed and just think about our own hardship and like, why am I treated this way or why am I cheated or, or why have I been beaten or, or whatever it is, yet the Lord sees all of it and he is good and he is in control. And in Romans 12, 19, it says, beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. See, we are on the winning team. We walk into a battle against great and mighty kings, but no one is too great for our God. And we don't fight the battles, he fights the battles for us. And our job is to love our neighbor, our enemies, and showcase the love of God and the love of the gospel in everything we do, even to those who persecute us. But in the end... God will get the victory. Dedicate yourself to Jesus. Why? Why? Because he's led us. He's provided for us. And he's winning our battles. We see we dedicate ourselves to God for who he is, for what he's done, for what he's doing, but also for what he will do. For what he will do. For Israel, this has already happened, but in, in our stage of existence, in the history of our salvation, we're still looking forward to where we will go. His steadfast love endures forever. Look at verses 21 and 22. Put together, they say this, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. The Lord prepared a place for Israel. He had promised it to them. They didn't earn this. They didn't earn this land. They had nothing. They were a people with no hope, no leader, no future, nothing in slavery in a foreign nation. And God, with his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, saved them, brought them away from Pharaoh, through the Red Sea, provided in the wilderness, defeated these great kings, and now he has given them this land. Why? Because he is Lord of Lords, and the change of ownership and deed for this land is completely his right to do. And he gives them a place to call their own. He transferred the ownership over to the Israelites. 
He is true to his promise. He is never faulting. He is never failing. This is the promise he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now he is coming true to his promise. He always comes true. Why? Because his steadfast love endures forever. It is never ending. And you know what he's preparing for us? Do you know what he's preparing for us? Jesus tells us in John 14 too. He says, guys, my father has a really, really big house. Really big house. And I go there to prepare a room for you. Just for you. Jesus Christ is doing this for us. He is preparing a room for us. And how can we not believe after knowing who he is and what he has done and what he is doing for us? He goes, he goes and prepares a room for us. And what was realized for Israel will be realized for eternity for those who believe in Jesus Christ. Dedicate yourself to Jesus because he has prepared a place for you forever. Forever. At the beginning of the message, I mentioned how this was used, this psalm was used two different times by Israel at the dedication of the temple and then the rededication of the temple. And, uh, and uh, then I mentioned how we are now the temple of the living God. And so here is our question for today. What is the state of your temple? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has filled you and sealed you and lives within you and bears fruit through you. What are you doing with your body? Are you offering it as a Offering to idols, or are you offering it as a living sacrifice to God, as Romans 12.1 would tell us to do? What is the state of your temple? Is it newly constructed? Is it newly constructed? Have you just believed in Jesus Christ, maybe here today or recently, and you need to dedicate yourself to God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Or have you believed in Jesus for a while now, but you've grieved the Holy Spirit for too long, and your temple is in ruins. Like the Israelites who needed to repent and rebuild and seek the presence of God, do you need to rededicate yourself to God? You might say, I'm too far gone, it's, it's too late, my sin is too much, I don't even desire this anymore, in fact, I'm only here because someone dragged me to church this morning. Do you think there's any sin that's too great for our God? Does not his steadfast love endure forever? Does he not call back every prodigal? Are his arms not open wide, ready to receive you and love you and embrace you? Of course, of course he is. After Solomon dedicated the temple, God knew what was going to happen. He knew that they would falter. He knew that he would have to send the Babylonians in. He knew all of this was going to happen. And so he gave Solomon that evening after they dedicated the temple with this psalm, he gave them, he, went, he met with Solomon and he said this. It says in 2 Chronicles 7, um, verse, starting at verse 11, it says, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house all that Solomon had planned to do in this house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. In verse 12, then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, 
I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Have you believed? Is your body a temple of the living God? Have you offered yourself as a living sacrifice to God? It says this, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, he's saying, when when you turn from me and you don't believe and you don't trust in my provision and you're not living the way you should and I send reminders to you and I discipline them, in verse 14 he says this, if my people who are called by my name, are you called by the name of the Lord? He says, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Listen, it's not too late. It's not too late. Believe. Believe. Not not only is he over all things, not only has he saved you, not only has his mighty hand brought you through, not only will he provide, but even when we falter, he is there willing and wanting. He says, just pray. Seek my face. Humble yourselves. Turn from your wickedness. I will forgive your sins. There's no one who is too far gone. You see, we are saved from slavery. We have been rescued We have been led, we have been provided for, we've been given this heritage that we will receive forever. Our God is good and his steadfast love endures forever.